This is AgriPulse Open Mic. I'm your host, Jeff Daly. Our guest this week is Iowa 3rd District U.S. Representative Cindy Axney. AgriPulse Open Mic is brought to you by Syngenta. Syngenta's ambition is to care for the planet and to help safely feed the world. AgriPulse Open Mic continues with Iowa Congresswoman Cindy Axney next. AgriPulse Open Mic is brought to you by Syngenta. Syngenta's ambition is to help safely feed the world while taking care of the planet. Syngenta's working to improve the sustainability, quality, and safety of agriculture with world-class science and innovative crop solutions. Learn more at Syngenta.com. This is AgriPulse Open Mic. Supply chain issues, input prices, cattle price discovery, and energy are all top-of-mind topics for Iowa farmers and Representative Cindy Axney. The 3rd District Representative says farmers are struggling to secure resources with planting season rapidly approaching. You know, they're a concern for all of the folks across Iowa, whether it's our farmers who, you know, need to make sure that they've got the inputs and the ability to get their goods to market, too. I just talked to a farmer the other day who had to take her load back twice because they couldn't get a truck to take it out uh, to get it to the rails and to get it, you know, out of the country. So... Uh, you know, we've got farmers who are being disrupted on a regular basis, but I gotta say too, you know, the ev- average everyday person, um, you know, we've gotta make sure that the prices come down, uh, for folks, and that's due to a lot of these supply chain issues, and, and we've gotta make sure that we've got a chance to get people back to work, which is another problem we're still facing. We've got low unemployment across the country, but we're, we're missing a lot of workers, and that's internationally as well. So it's on the minds of everybody. It's on my, uh, the minds out here, and as a matter of fact, I'm, part of um, inflation task force to address this head on and had the first meeting yesterday literally meeting with uh, think tanks and other members and folks who understand uh, the economics around this to to determine our best course of action to as quickly as possible move us out of this which we are doing but to also look at long-term impact and make sure that we don't face this type of issue again. So if farmers in Iowa and across the country are going to be successful with big crops, those crops have to be fed. Unfortunately, Russia is only one piece of what has proven to be a perfect storm in terms of higher fertilizer prices. Is there anything that Washington can do, especially at this date? Absolutely, um, and it's why I took the lead in, uh, with a representative from Kansas and 70, I think, bipartisan and bicameral members to urge the International Trade Commission to remove some harmful trade duties on fertilizer imports. I, I know you know as well as I do that if, if the expectations that folks are seeing where the, the prices could spike so high, you know, we're, our, our, our producers are going to be losing money. Uh, so we've got to address this. There, you know, there's many reasons why fertilizer prices have skyrocketed, but one key reason is due to the trade duties that were implemented by the ITC. So I'm taking the lead with my other colleagues to make sure that we address this. And just a few days ago, wrote this letter urging the International Trade Commission to reconsider its decision to place duties on phosphate fertilizer products that are imported from Morocco and then to also suspend the current process to impose new duties on urea ammonium nitrate fertilizer uh, from Trinidad and Tobago. So we are trying to deal with the current issue that, that we're facing right now with Morocco, but also to address the new duties that were placed on 
the products from Trinidad and Tobago. So we've got to get these fixed. When things change, we've got to adapt. And so it's time to adapt, and we are asking the Trade Commission to hear us. I know our corn growers are particularly affected. I've heard farmers say they may be planting less just because they can't afford it. So we have got to get this taken care of, and I'm hopeful that the ITC will listen to the concerns expressed by a large, large group of members, bipartisan members, and reconsider and suspend these trade duties that have contributed to this. We've got to at least step in where we have the control. Congresswoman, thoughts on the Russian invasion of Ukraine and U.S. response from the recent vote on most favored nation status to energy and other issues. Is our response appropriate and is it enough? Well, this is a, a, obviously a very tough situation for our country and for our NATO allies um, in, in how we best help Ukraine, its citizens, and its government defend itself against Russia's un, you know, unprovoked attack uh, and now on citizens. Uh, absolutely unacceptable uh, what's happening right now. Um, you know, to see the, uh, I was just in a briefing the other day, uh, President Zelensky, uh, you know, spoke with us and then ran a video, uh, you know, of, of children just dying in the streets. Um, um, so I'll tell you what, we know that this is a really, really tough situation. We know that America is a superpower and we've got the opportunity to support our allies. We're also members of NATO, and we have to work with our NATO partners to ensure that we're doing what we can without putting our country in harm's way um, and uh, possibly triggering, you know, a larger-scale war. Uh, so there's a lot to think about here. And so the role that we have with NATO really has to guide uh, how the decisions that the president makes and that Congress makes and uh, ensuring that we address this uh proactively and in the best way. I will tell you that I believe what's happening is really hurting Russia. I'm also on Financial Services Committee. Uh, the sanctions, uh, you know, are part of the responsibility that I have in overseeing uh, what's happening there in regard to what we're trying to do. The Financial Services has an opportunity to have input, and the sanctions are working. The sanctions are on the oligarchs. Um, they are on the connections to those oligarchs. They are on uh, the, 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 the political, uh, the, those that side uh, with the government and the administration of Putin. Um, we are trying to lock down their funding wherever you go. Uh, access to the central bank, you know, the, the, we have really strapped them from getting access to money. Now, here's the deal. They did a little stockpiling, of course, for funds before all of this so that they could have some backup. They obviously did not go into uh, this aggressive war that they have created without understanding that they were going to be met with some harsh uh, pushback. So they've done some stockpiling of funds to figure, you know, to get them through things. But what I can tell you is they are starting to feel the impact of the sanctions. The ruble is worth barely anything right now. Uh, they're having trouble, uh, you know, getting uh, products to their own citizens. So there's going to be, uh, you know, obviously grave concern from their citizens there. Uh, they, they can't get access to the funding that they need to shore up their, uh, you know, ammunition reserves and, and fix their equipment. So they're, we're basically trying to essentially use time and use these really great mechanisms of sanctions um, and, of course, massive support for the Ukraine army by supplying 
you know, uh, the, the ammunition and things that they need there and coordinating with Poland and other countries to make sure that um, they can defend themselves. So we are putting a lot of money there and support for them to be able to defend themselves. But I would tell you, uh, I do believe that the sanctions are an incredibly important part of this. When you lock down uh, financial opportunities for a country, you limit their ability to continue to move an agenda like this forward. It doesn't happen overnight, but it happens in some key ways that put strangleholds on them. Uh, and I think that we're seeing the results of that. Uh, so I'd say at this point for where we are right now, um, and the opportunities that we have as, as the nation that we are and as a NATO ally, we're doing everything we can and we're doing the right thing. The strength of the economy sometimes depends as much on the supply of energy and the price of energy. My question for you, are we making the most of the resources that we have, whether it's coal or renewable sources of corn and soybeans, domestic drilling and others? Are we doing everything that we can do using what we have as opposed to importing from what proves to be nations that don't see eye to eye with us. No, we're not, and you're absolutely correct. This is I was just with Administrator Regan yesterday uh, and uh, from the EPA and, and said, you know, my big push was for biofuels. My gosh, we've got a homegrown product right here in, in our country, in my state, in the Midwest, and we could be looking at biofuels all across this country, quite honestly. It doesn't have to be corn and soy in Iowa it can be switchgrass or, you know, or, or white pine in North Carolina. We've got massive opportunity here to be building, creating our own energy, and we're not doing what we need to do. And I told the administrator yesterday, why, you know, why are we not pushing E15 year-round across this country and automatically reducing our dependency on foreign oil? We have it. We're ready to go. We all, you know, we have been ready to ramp up. We are constantly ready to push this product out, and we have it here. So let's make that happen. So that's issue number one. Let's use our current biofuels, our ethanol in Iowa and other states, to get to get a cheaper price at the pump um, and get more fuel across this country. Secondly, we have uh, fossil fuel companies right here in the United States who are not producing to their capacity. They are producing still at levels that they uh, lower than what they were producing before the pandemic. Um, at the highest, they were producing, you know, 1.3 million barrels per day less than what was being produced uh, before the pandemic. They need to get back up to that. We should not be at a point where we are saying, oh, my goodness, you know, we're so reliant on Russia uh, for oil that, you know, it's putting us in a difficult spot when we have, uh, spigots to turn on here and to create more uh, from our own right here in our own country and they're not doing it. So I've urged that the president has urged that they're starting to build that up but they're still not in our own you know, oil production companies they're still not producing as much fuel as they possibly could. So to your point we got to start at home with what we have on the ground right now which is clean burning biofuels and then uh, upping our production of our fuel that we produce here in this country. But we absolutely should be looking forward to the future for new energy production across this country. And states like the Midwest are poised for that. Uh, you know, resources, our natural resources have already created opportunity with ethanol. And I know that there's so much more opportunity in our country to create energy. Uh, and I hope that this is the impetus that shows, you know, the 
White House and the administration that it's time to move on. It's time to move on and look to our own country for our, not just our own needs and our ability to uh, move our economy with fuel, uh, but to create a great economy here for our own people and to create, as you mentioned, national security around something that's integral to who we are. We need energy. Let's make it here. We can do it. Let's just get this going. So I couldn't agree with you more. I'm tired of being beholden to countries like Russia, being beholden to the Middle East and OPEC and, uh, you know, essentially a cartel for pricing our, our, our oil so that that reflects at the pump. It's time that we were able to do this on our own because we absolutely should be able to. There are questions over beef price discovery, criticism of concentration, uh, and a lack of competition. Yet you have the Cattlemen's Beef Association and American Farm Bureau pushing back against mandates that animals or a certain percentage of animals be run through the auction system. Um, is there a solution and is it near? There is a solution, and I hope it is near. It's you know Cattle Market Transparency Act. Um, it's a, a bipartisan, bicameral piece of legislation. Uh, Senator Grassley is leading it in the Senate. The senator and I literally talked about it on the plane a couple weeks ago. We often sit right next to each other. Uh, and we've got this bill ready to go. We are getting pushback from national, as you mentioned, but across uh, the Midwest, Across many parts of this country, the small producer is not getting a fair shake. And, you know, we don't have transparency in the market. It's a completely unfair market for many of our producers. So um, there's a couple things that we're doing. First, we need to get this, the, the Cattle Market Transparency Act put into law so that we can create uh, some opportunity for parity in the industry by literally putting pricing out there uh, so folks can really see what's happening in the marketplace, right? Secondly, we need to make sure that we're moving forward with the USDA agenda and my agenda and others' agenda on creating more local processing capabilities around, you know, particular regions in this country. Uh, Secretary Vilsack and I announced a large grant, oh, my goodness, uh, I think that was last, fall, last summer, late last summer, uh, in Council Bluffs, Iowa, uh, for a new production facility. Um, and we are continuing to roll out that policy uh, to, pr to create more processing capabilities across the country. You know, I, I, listen, I come from five generations of Iowa farmers. Uh, and, you know, I remember when, you know, you didn't have to drive certainly near as far uh, for your product to get to market. We are lacking this right in our own backyard right now, and we've got two pieces of, of legislation that, you know, well, one piece of legislation that we could move through and another great piece of uh, program that's happening in the USDA that we need to really kickstart and make sure that it's, you know, getting pushed across the country. So I couldn't agree with you more, and we've got to continue to push back. Listen, uh, I'm not working for the national cattlemen. I'm working for Iowa cattlemen. The Biden EPA appears to be... Uh, shouldering an effort to define jurisdiction of the Clean Water Act. Some see this as WOTUS all over again. You mentioned Administrator Regan. What's your counsel to him about defining uh, the water and the land that would fall under jurisdiction? Well, my counsel to him would be the words that I heard him use yesterday, which were, uh, that farmers would be at the table in decisions that impact them. 
uh, as I was pushing for biofuels, uh, you know, and then got his response, part of his response was echoing that the president wants to see uh, more support for our agriculture community and more opportunity for them to create growth in the energy market as well. Um, and so I would ask him, you know, to, to literally listen to what came out of his mouth, which was have our farmers at the table on any concern uh, that impacts them and that does, you know, address environmental and climate issues. I think half the problem with WOTUS before was, the, was exactly that. Uh, the subject matter experts and the farmers weren't at the table. Yes, we do need to have folks from all, uh, you know, the environmental side of things, but, you know, we've got to make sure that we protect farmers um, and their land um, and that they don't get rolled up into some type of policy that brings in bodies of water that really are irrelevant to the outcome that's needed. And I have a feeling that if we don't have farmers at the table, that will happen. So I will make sure, you know, my goal is to make sure that if this does move forward, now again, let's say there's no, you know, there's just, uh, it always seems like uh, uh, public talk gets ahead of what happens <laughs> out here in Congress sometimes. So there isn't, I'm not hearing any talk on this at this point, just so you all know. Um, but what I will tell you is that if, if, you know, if anything does move forward, I'm going to be standing there, the voice of 10 representatives, saying you better make sure that my people are sitting at the table um, because you don't always know the answers and you have to have folks who are on the ground with this. So that's the guarantee I can bring uh, for American farmers is that, you know, they know better off than most of the people that would be sitting at the table what waters would, would impact navigable waters and what waters won't. And I don't want our farmers to get caught up in some policy that, creates unintended outcomes. Congresswoman, it is a midterm election year. What statements might you say to voters to see them stay with your party, the party in control, as the best move for rural America and agriculture? I would say that one of the best voices for agriculture right now is Cindy Axney. The reason why is because I don't just look at the issues related to agriculture. I look at everything related to rural prosperity, which is why just last week I introduced the Rural Prosperity Act with Representative Angie Craig out of Minnesota. It's a bipartisan bill again, bicameral. It included, you know, another representative from my district and our two, uh, from my state and our two senators. And what it does is it streamlines federal services for rural America to cut bureaucratic red tape by, for once, establishing an office of rural prosperity, a permanent office in the White House. Not relegating rural prosperity to just USDA or to, you know, the agriculture committee and work that we might do there. Literally raising up rural America to where it should be. And I have fought tooth and nail for the last several years to be the voice of 10 representatives coming out of a rural state because I knew it would take that much. I've established the Rural Reinvestment Task Force and we are actively working on policy to push forward to help our rural communities with housing, with health care, with education, with economic development. That supports our farmers. I'm working on this Rural Prosperity Act, as I mentioned, so we could literally raise up the voice of rural where it should be prominently within the White House. I have been a leader when it comes to things like our cattle markets, when it comes to anything that increases costs for our farmers, as you can see from the fertilizer bill. And as a fifth-generation Iowan uh, whose mom grew up on a family farm, I was, you know, the last of that family's generation to spend summers down there working on it and enjoying just the rural life. 
to me, this is not just the right thing to do. It's the smart thing to do, and it's personal to me. It is time that we address the issues of rural America because rural America is the backbone of this country. And I hope that I get a chance to represent uh, my state again because when I do, I represent all people across this country um, who aren't getting the leg up like California and New York big cities. Uh, I would ask your thoughts with regard to the omnibus spending package that would uh, finish fiscal 22. Was everything in there that you hoped for and is Build Back Better dead? Well, I'll tell you, listen, not everything was in there that I, that I hoped for. Um, you know, there's certainly a lot of things that are impacting my district and our state that I would have liked to see more support for. But I think we came out with a pretty good package. And remember, we've got to do everything we can just to move agendas forward. It's a tough time out here right now from a bipartisan perspective. So I'm happy to get policy done. But we do have pieces of the Build Back Better agenda that I believe should become law, um, and I'm working hard to make that happen. Um, certainly energy production pieces that you you know kind of touched on earlier because that could be massive economic growth for states like Iowa. I also think about programs that we need to invest in that have not made the cut. Uh, Child care is one of them, and so is housing. I was just out in uh, my district in the current counties I represent and then also on the campaign side look, meeting with folks in the new areas. I can't tell you how many times I've heard we need child care and we need housing. I haven't had one person tell me they can't get to work because the bridge is down, but I have dozens of people tell me they can't get a job because there's no child care. I have managers and manufacturing plants tell me that they can't find people because there's no child care. I have businesses that want to come in. We have a, a manufacturer that wants to come in and make 200 jobs, needs 70 houses in one part of uh, my uh, district, can't, can't find anybody to build those houses because it's tough to build in rural America. So we have got to start passing some bills that help rural prosperity and child care uh, and some housing in our communities across the country and, of course, broadband, and so thrilled to see that in infrastructure. But those three things are so important to rural America, uh, and I will continue to fight for those because those should absolutely be part of the policy we get through this year. Congresswoman, we want to thank you for taking time to be with us on this edition of Open Mic. It is Open Mic, and today you've got the last word. Well, I'm grateful to be on here. Thanks for giving me the time. I'm glad to be a representative for states like Iowa. I have said for far too long that we have been overlooked uh, for places on the coast and, quite honestly, big cities. Every ball bearing for every Ford Explorer made in Detroit is made in Iowa's 3rd District. So when I say rural America helps bigger, like big cities, I mean it because it's happening right now. And so I'm so grateful to be able to spread the word on your show uh, you know, to make sure that folks are informed of the good work I am doing for rural America uh, because it's just such an important piece of who we are. I'm grateful that you have me on here to talk about these ag pieces because it's so important for our country's prosperity. And I will continue to be a leader uh, for our voices in Iowa and across the country for every single person who relies on the soil uh, for, for their livelihood. So thank you so much for having me on it. Our thanks to Iowa 3rd District Representative Cindy Axney, our guest this week on Open Mic. AgriPulse Open Mic is brought to you by Syngenta. Syngenta's ambition is to care for the planet and help safely feed the world. For AgriPulse, I'm Jack Alley.